know, probably for the rest of our lives, we will all remember where we were when we heard the news that Billy Graham had died. For every one of us, Billy Graham has always been a fixture in our world, unless you're 100 years old or older, and I don't think there's anybody here that old. But for every one of us, Billy Graham has always just been a fixture in our world. He's just always been there, and it's always been comforting to know that we had his prophetic voice speaking in our world. As most of you know, Billy Graham was and is my spiritual hero. Uh, I always dreamed of meeting him, and my very first thought when I heard that he had died on Wednesday, my very first thought was, I never got a chance to meet him. And so yesterday, I did what thousands of others did, and I went to pay my respects as he passed by in the motorcade. I want to show you a picture of this. I actually found it last night on the uh, website, the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association website. Um, I decided to go up. I went by myself. I decided to go up to the cove because that's where he was, and they were going to be leaving the cove and going through Black Mountain on their way to Charlotte. And so I wanted to be at the entrance of the cove, And as he was leaving for the final time, I thought that would be a good place to kind of stop and to see him as he goes by. And so that's what you're seeing here. The gate to the cove is over here uh, to my right, and these are the the family members going out, leaving the cove. And, of course, you can see the the hearse there in the top right-hand corner. Now, if you see the red yield sign there over towards the left, you'll see the yield sign. If you count over three people from the yield sign, that's me. Dark black pants and a light colored shirt. Got my hand in the air. I'm not waving at him. I've got my camera and I'm, I'm filming it as he went by. I want to tell you why I was there. It was my way of saying to Dr. Billy Graham, since I never got the chance to meet him, it was my way of saying to him, thank you. As a pastor, I have admired him my entire ministry. And so I wanted to be there and to acknowledge what he meant to me and what he meant to the world. You know, during his life, Billy Graham preached in person to nearly 215 million people. Think about that. In person, he preached to 215 million people. That's not counting all the people he reached by satellite and, and uh, film and television and all that. And then, as he preached the simple message of the cross and the message of salvation, the gospel... Millions, literally millions of people came to faith in Christ because of his work and his ministry. He proclaimed the gospel to more people than any other preacher in history. In my estimation, uh, he was the greatest evangelist since the Apostle Paul. And in our times, he was known as, of course, as America's pastor. After turning 99 last year, Billy Graham was recognized once again by the Gallup Poll Organization as one of the most Uh, admired people in America. It was an honor that he had received 61 times. For 61 years, he's been known as one of the most respected people in America. But I like the ladies' home journal that once ranked him second only to God in the category of achievements in religion. So you have God, and then you have Billy Graham. That's kind of the way it is in my book, too. But now get this, the man who served God so faithfully went through a period of time where he doubted God's faithfulness to him. I want you to hear that. 
The man who served God so faithfully and preached to millions about the gospel. The man who served God so faithfully went through a period of time where he doubted God's faithfulness to him. There's a book that Billy Graham's wrote called The Treasury of Faith. And let me just let him tell you what he went through. It says, Once many years ago when I was going through a dark period, I prayed and prayed, but the heavens seemed to be brass. I felt as though God had disappeared and that I was alone with my trial and burden. It was a dark night for my soul. I wrote my mother about the experience and will never forget her reply. And here's what his mother said. Son, there are many times when God withdraws to test your faith. He wants you to trust Him in the darkness. Now, son, reach up by faith in the fog and you will find His hand will be there. And Billy Graham said in tears, I knelt by my bed and experienced an overwhelming sense of God's presence. You see, even Billy Graham needed, to be, needed somebody to remind him that God was there and that God can be trusted. Have the trials perhaps that you're going through or have they, that perhaps you've been through recently, have they caused you to perhaps doubt God a little bit? Perhaps you're a little bit fearful that maybe God's not going to come through for you this time. Maybe what you're facing this time is going to be too much, too hard, too difficult. If you're going through a dark night of the soul today, can I remind you something you probably already know, but if you're going through a dark night of the soul, here's what I want to remind you of today. It's a lesson Billy Graham learned. Here's the lesson. God can be trusted in the darkness. He really can. God can be trusted in the darkness. There's a story in the Old Testament about a group of people who needed that same message. Would you open God's Word with me to Exodus chapter 14? Exodus chapter 14. Hey, Tom, would you do me, Tom, would you do me a favor? Would you go there and close the door to the connector? I'm hearing a lot of the stuff from the other service over there. It's kind of dis- distracting. Thank you, Tom. If it's distracting me, I thought it might be distracting you too, okay? Exodus chapter 14, there's a story in the Old Testament about a group of people who needed this message that God can be trusted. You know the story. How many of y'all have seen Cecil B. DeMille's depiction of the Ten Commandments? Do you remember that? Who played Moses in that? Okay, so we don't even need to look at the Scripture today, right? Because you already know it. You got it, right? You know how it all works. You know what it all looks like. So let me kind of rehearse for you a little bit about the story, and, and then we'll, we'll turn to the Scripture. You know the story of how God's people are enslaved in Egypt, and, and God hears their cry for, for help, and God sends Moses to deliver them out of Egyptian bondage. And you know, as we talked about last week, you know that the Scripture says that God led them not, out, not only out of Egypt, But something very interesting we looked at last week, it says that God led them to the Red Sea. We talked about that dilemma, how God led them to the Red Sea and why God might have led them not just out of Egypt, but why God might might have led them to the Red Sea. 
but that's exactly where they find themselves. And you know the story. You've seen the movie. You've read the scripture. You know the story. They've got the Red Sea in front of them, and they've got Pharaoh's army thundering towards them, and there is literally nowhere to go. There's literally nothing that they can do. And it's interesting that what Moses told his people as they faced what probably was the scariest moment of their lives. It's interesting what he said to them. Exodus 14, beginning in verse 13. Moses answered the people, Do not be afraid. Stand firm, and you'll see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you'll never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to do what, church? Be still. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Now that's the title of the whole series, Be Still. In the very first message we were looking at Psalm 4610, Be still and know that I am God. And we talked about what that word be still means in that particular text. is the Hebrew word rapha, and it means to relax. Relax and know that I am God. It means to, uh, to quit, quit being so torn by this and relax and know that I am God. It could be translated, take your hands off of it and know that I am God. Just be still, just quiet down and know that I am God. That was Psalm 46.10. And then last week we began looking at, at this be still. And I told you that it's a different word last Sunday. I said this be still is a different Hebrew word in Exodus 14, 14. It's the Hebrew word hares. And it means be quiet, be silent, hold your tongue. It's interesting how the other translations translate it. New American Standard says, The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. Or the Holman Christian Standard Version says, The Lord will fight for you. You must be quiet. Or the message translation is kind of a a bold translation. It says, listen to this, God will fight the battle for you, and you, you keep your mouth shut. (laughs) Which makes me wonder how Moses, uh, uh, how he said this to the people. You know, did he say it spiritually like, Just be still. God will fight for you. Or did he say, listen, God's going to fight for you, but you people need to shut up. I don't know how he said it, but I know exactly what he did say in verse 14. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Now, why was Moses so direct? Why was he so blunt? Why was he almost rude? Well, if you'll go back to verse 11 and 12, notice how the people were responding to this scary time. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Now, let me ask you the hard question. Do you think they're upset or happy about what's going on? They're terrified, aren't they? Absolutely terrified. The the Egyptian army is thundering towards them and they're probably yelling this to Moses because of the noise. Did you bring us out here to die? Why didn't you leave us in Egypt? And Moses said, listen, 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 listen. God's going to fight for you. Hear this. God's going to fight for you. You need only to shut up. (laughs) You need only to be still. And right here we have 
A disappointing pattern, we're introduced to a disappointing pattern in Israel's history about their behavior during the march from Egypt to the Promised Land. We see it over and over and over as you read the Scripture. As long as everything was going well, they were faithful to the Lord, and they followed Moses willingly. But if there was a trial, if there was a discomfort, if there was something that happened in their circumstances that was negative, they immediately began to criticize. They immediately began to complain. They immediately became riled up. And you see that in their history over and over and over again. But listen to me, church. You know why they did that? Because they're human. And so are you. It's human to do that, isn't it? It's human to to become angry, to become fearful. It's human to try to find somebody to blame. Maybe even right now, you're blaming somebody. There's, there's somebody that didn't do what they could have done or should have done. and It's easy to find somebody to blame. It's, it's easy to criticize. Because you're afraid. And you're hurt. And you're angry. And in the middle of all that, that's human. But listen to me. It may be human, but it's not helpful. If you want to experience the supernatural in your life, then you'll have to do what doesn't come naturally. You'll have to be still. You'll have to be quiet. You'll have to hold your tongue. Look at the promise. Maybe underline it if you haven't already. Verse 14. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Now, I have a hunch that between verse 14 and verse 15, something was happening. We're not told this. I want to be, be clear. I'm not, this is not in Scripture. I'm reading between the lines. But it appears to me that between verse 14 and verse 15, Moses is likely doing some crisis praying. Because in verse 14, he stands very confidently and says, The Lord will fight for you, you be still. In verse 15, he's praying. How do we know he's praying? Because God interrupts him. God says in verse 15, the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? You see, apparently, in verse 14, Moses speaking very confidently, and in verse 15, Moses, between verse 14 and 15, Moses turns to the Lord and says basically this, God, I sure hope you do something. I just told these people, you're going to fight for them, and I sure hope that you do, and Probably you can understand what that's like, right? You more than likely have had a friend or a family member. Maybe it was a spouse. Maybe it was a child. You've had somebody where you tried to reassure them. You tried to say, the Lord's going to help you with this. And you might even have given them some scripture. Said, the Lord's going to be there for you. And the Lord's going to help you through this. And you've encouraged them. And then you walk away thinking, God, I don't know what you're going to do there. But I sure hope you do something. Because I told them you would. I told them to hold on to you, God, but I sure hope that you do something. So God interrupts Moses in the middle of his prayer. And I love what he says in verse 15. Moses, the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to do what? To move on. To which Moses probably thought, I just told them to be still. And God says, well, I'm telling you, move on. To which Moses probably thought, Move on where? You see the army behind us, right? You you see the Red Sea in front of us. Move on where? 
to which God perhaps could have said, see that Red Sea in front of you? Move on. Now, how do I know that? It's because of what God says next. Look what he, what he does say. He says, Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. Here's what I want to do quickly today. I want to give you four lessons, if you will, about four things you need to remember when you need the Lord to fight a battle for you. We're going to go through the text, and I'm going to show you four things to remember when you need God to fight a battle for you. And the first one is based on verses 16 through 18. The first thing I want you to remember, when you need God to fight a battle for you, when God fights for you, here's the first one, he always has a plan. Verse 16, he tells Moses exactly what to do. Raise your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. Can I say to you, God is never at a loss for what to do. God never looks at your situation and he never says, I just don't know what to do about this. He never throws his hands up in disgust and says, I don't know, I don't know. God is not at a loss for what to do. And if you're standing on the edge of the Red Sea in your situation, he knows exactly what he wants you to do. You may not know it yet. He knows exactly what he wants you to do. And he told Moses, hold out your staff. I'm going to split the waters and they're going to walk through on dry ground. Dry ground. Question. How many of you would have thought of that? No, none of us would have. None of us would have said, hey God, I got this idea. Why why don't you cause this big wind to blow, part the waters. I've seen it in a movie one time. It's really cool. Part the waters and we're going to walk through on dry ground. Nobody would have thought of that. You see, just because you don't see a way through doesn't mean that God doesn't see it. God knows what He's doing. He's not pretending to be God. He is God. He knows what He's doing. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. When you need God to fight a battle for you, remember, God has a plan. You may not. God has a plan. Number two, when God fights for you, I love this one. When God fights for you, He stands between you and your problem. This is so good in verse 19. Then the angel of God, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew. And where did the angel of God go? Behind them. By the way, that could have been just an angel, or it could have been a pre-incarnate presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, wait, 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 wait. No, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Humanly, Jesus came in Bethlehem, but Jesus is eternal. He's always existed, and he made appearances in the Old Testament days. It's called a Christophany, and some scholars believe that this was a Christophany, that the angel of God that was leading them and the angel of God that went behind them was actually perhaps the Lord Jesus himself. Even if it wasn't Jesus, if it was just an angel, notice what happens. The angel of God was in front of them, leading them, guiding them. Now, now the angel of God moves behind them to guard them. Not only the angel of God, look what else happened in the next verse, or the next half of the verse. The pillar of cloud, verse 19, the pillar of cloud 
also moved from in front and stood behind them. And I love this. Coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to the one side and light to the other, so neither went near the other all night. Coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. These people were literally helpless and they were hopeless without the aid of God. If, if they are going to be delivered, God is going to have to do it. And all of a sudden, God in, in His presence, the cloud and the angel of, of God came from, from in front of the army and came behind the army, no longer guiding them, now guarding them. Now the angel of God and the cloud is between the people of God and the Egyptians, and God is right between them. Would it help you to think of God in those terms? God's between you and your problem? Isn't that a beautiful picture? That God not only is guiding you in life, but God is guarding you in life? Write down this scripture if you're taking notes. Psalm 56.3 Have you ever gotten to a place where you don't know what to say or do? You've gotten into a dilemma, a problem, and you really literally don't know what to say or do? And you think, I, really, there's just nothing I can say or do to fix this problem. Have you ever gotten a situation like that? Nothing I can say or do that will fix this problem. There is something you can say. There is something you can do. Here it is. Psalm 56.3 When I am afraid... I will trust in you. That's what you can say. That's what you can do. When I am afraid, I will trust in you. In fact, if you want to do a wonderful Bible study this week, get a concordance and look up two little words, but God. So many times in Scripture, when human resources have been brought to an end, when despair has gripped the hearts of people, and pessimism and gloom has set in, when there's absolutely no way that anything good is going to come of that situation, see how many times in those hopeless situations, the author of Scripture writes these words, but God. And every time the author of Scripture, the Holy Spirit, wrote those words, but God, the situation drastically, dramatically changed and victory, victory was brought, not because of what these folks have been able to do, but because God stepped in. See, when God fights for you, He stands between you and your problem. Number three, when God fights for you, that's when you experience the miraculous. That's when you experience the miraculous. Look at verse 21. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And all that night, the Lord, not Moses, but the Lord, drove the sea back with a strong east wind, and it turned into dry land, and the waters were divided. Do you know why God said, Moses, stretch out your arms, stretch out your staff? Do you know why God had Moses to stretch out his arms and his staff? So that people would recognize this was an act of God, not an act of coincidence. It wasn't just that one night all of a sudden the wind started blowing and it parted the waters and dried the ground. No, it happened once Moses put out his arms and stretched out the staff. God wanted the people to know that this was him acting on their behalf. And it says that, that when he put out his arms, the, water, the wind began to blow, the water began to part. It was an act of God where he intervened on behalf of his people. And even the Egyptians, look at your text, even the Egyptians recognized it was God fighting for the people of God. Look in verse 25. 
He made the wheels of their chariots come off so that they had difficulty driving. And the Egyptians said, let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Israel. Don't you love that? The Lord is fighting for the Israelites. We've got to get out of here. I love the story of John Patton, who was a missionary in the New Hebrides Islands years ago. One night, the hostile natives surrounded the mission station intent on burning them out and killing them. John and his wife and his children were powerless against the natives who had surrounded their compound. They had no, nothing to do, no one to call on. All they knew to do was get on their knees and pray for God to deliver them. They prayed throughout the night for God's deliverance, for God's protection. When daylight came, they were amazed to see that, the, that their attackers were gone. A year later, the chief of that tribe that had surrounded the compound, the chief of that tribe was converted to Christ. And John began to talk to him. He said, by the way, I need to ask you a question. What was it that kept you from burning down our house and killing us that night about a year ago? And the chief was surprised. And he said, well, why would you ask such a thing? She said, who were all of those men surrounding your house? John said, there was no men, it was just us. We were inside, we were praying for God to deliver us. He, and the chief said, no. He said, there was this group of men, this army of men that surrounded your house. They were in white robes and had swords drawn. And when we saw them, we left. Fear not. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Finally, number four, when God fights for you, I love this. When God fights for you, it moves you to a deeper faith in Him. Verse 29. <clears throat> Well, let's go to verse 28. The water flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen. The entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea, not one of them survived. Verse 29. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. And that day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the great power the Lord displayed against the Egyptians... The people feared the Lord and put their trust in Him and in Moses, His servant. The people feared the Lord and they put their trust in Him. You see, when God fights for you and suddenly you see His intervention, you see evidence that He did something for you that no man could do, suddenly you recognize He really is God and it causes you to go into a deeper level of trust than you've ever been before. Those times when you feel powerless, those times when you fear what might happen, it's important to remember that God can be trusted even in the dark nights of the soul. I love the founder of Dallas Theological Seminary, Dr. Lewis Sperry Chafer, what he once said. He said, committed Christians are often placed on the front lines of battle. But listen to this. He said, it's the place where the enemy's fiercest pressure is felt, but it also offers the best view of the crushing defeat of the enemy. Isn't that good? He said, listen, you might be on the front lines of the battle and you might be facing 
the fierce battle that the enemy brings against you, but it's also the place where you get a front row seat to see what God does. That's what happened here. The people of God in Israel saw what God did, and it says, and they placed their trust in Him. Can you imagine what you would do after an experience like that? How, how do you think you would respond? How do you think Moses and his people responded? Well, we're fortunate, the Bible tells us. So go on to chapter 15, verse 1. I want to close with this verse. Chapter 15, verse 1. Here's how they responded to that. Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. And the rest of chapter 15, or a good part of chapter 15, is a song. It's a song of praise. It's a song where they sing praise to the Lord, looking back at what God had done for them. Some of you aren't there yet, are you? You haven't seen the waters part yet in your predicament. You're still holding on in fear and trying to hold on in faith. But the waters haven't parted for you yet. You've got no song to sing. Can I tell you something? Listen carefully. Sometimes coming to the Red Sea is just as much a part of God's plan as crossing it. What He does for you there can deepen your faith in a way other things will not. It may be that God has a lifetime lesson for you to learn. If you'll keep following Him one day, perhaps you'll be like Moses and His people and be back to look, you'll be able to look back and sing a song of praise. But some of you say, well, I'm not there yet. All I have is fear. All I have is frustration. All I have is anxiety. I'm not there yet. I want to be there. I want to trust God. But this is a dark night of the soul for me. I understand that. The Lord will fight this battle for you. You need to be still in His presence. I'm going to tell you about three times that I saw Dr. Billy Graham preach in person. I saw him preach in person when I was 10 years old in Knoxville, Tennessee at Neyland Stadium. It's the first time I ever saw him preach. It's before I became a Christian, and I heard the gospel, and it cleared itself away. I saw him preach a second time at First Baptist Church in Dallas, Texas when I was a seminary student. It inspired me to, to be like that man. And then I saw him at, in Charlotte, North Carolina at Panther Stadium. My first year here as your pastor, I took a group of you. We went to Charlotte, and we saw him in a crusade there in 1996. And every time I ever saw him preach, they always closed with the same song. You know what it is, don't you? Just as I am. And I'm closing the service today with that song, partly in tribute to him, but also just to remind you, that really is the way we come to God, isn't it? We come to God and say, just as I am. God, I'm broken. I'm fearful. I'm anxious. But I really want to believe that you'll fight this battle for me. So I'm just going to come and be still. In your presence. I come to you, God, just as I am. And for some of you, perhaps you've never placed your faith in Jesus. Could I say to you that the Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins? He died in your place so that you could have a relationship with God. He died so that you could know God personally, but you by faith have to receive Christ. You see, one day everyone will do 
what happened to Dr. Billy Graham on Wednesday. One day, every one of us will enter eternity. And you'll enter eternity either knowing God or rejecting God. And today, I'm going to give you an opportunity to know Him. I'm going to give you an opportunity just simply to say, Lord, I place my faith in Jesus today. I believe He died for my sin. He died in my, uh, in my place. And I'm putting my faith in what Christ did on the cross for me. I'm going to trust Him today as my Lord and my Savior. And if you do that, God will change your life for all eternity. You come just as you are. Whatever your need is. You come to Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father, in the name of Jesus, I am grateful for who you are and what you are in our lives. I'm grateful, Lord, that you are the one that fights our battles for us when, when life is more than we can handle. And in those dark nights of the soul, when we worry and we're frustrated and we're filled with anxiety, may you remind us of your presence and your power. Would you defeat the enemy for us as we trust in you today? And I pray that in the strong and the mighty name of Jesus.